we're starting a new series. We're, this new series is uh, a short mini-series at the start where we're going to look at the household of God and then you're going to go on and look up, look at fellowship and love and unity within that. Um, but my job today is to talk about the household. See, I told you. Oh, too far. There you go. What does it mean to be part of the household of God? I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the year and we did those prayer stations and one of the things I put up was a squiggle because my art is renowned. So we had a squiggle and people filled in what their desire was to see happening in Hub over the coming year. And one of the things that came out in that really clearly was family and community. Phrased in different ways, but it was family and community. But what do we actually mean by family? If I asked each of you to describe family to me, there would be a lot of crossover. Yeah, there would be, you know, good things, but there would also be a lot of differences of what our own experience and expectation of family is. It might be love, a place of belonging, perhaps a place of intimacy, of fun, maybe even of a place to serve. I don't know what would make your list of what makes a family, of what aspects of family life are important to you. For some of us, it might be affected by traditions, things passed down from our families to us of culture or nationality. For some others, I recognize it might actually be a wish list because their own experience of family wasn't good. Nick and I decided this year that it would be a good idea to take our family on holiday. Now, my family are all adults. Two of them have partners. And I thought, what a simple and wonderful way to bless them. The trouble is, we blood bent lifts, as it is, already had a picture of what a family holiday is. We like lots of chill time. We like playing games. We like just relaxing and chilling out and being together. And that was all great. Obviously, that's what you do on holiday. Okay, yes. But my beautiful and wonderful daughter-in-law is an only child. That picture meant absolutely nothing to her. Family holidays meant organized activities things planned to do and it took me a while to realize we were talking at complete cross purposes and it was like ah this is why this is turning into a disaster and it was after that you know we talked we realized we've now booked a nice holiday in Scotland all is well but both of us came with assumptions about family who do we consider as part of our family is it those we live with? Is that family? 
Is it other blood relations? Is it people that are married into our family? Is it wider than that? Who do you consider to be in your family? So when we look at that squiggle board and say we want church to be more like family, actually, that's not as straightforward as writing the word seems. Who's family? It might surprise you that if you look through the New Testament, although we get the words sister and brother, daughter and son and father, when it's talking about the church, there is very little mention of family in that context. The term used most commonly by the New Testament writers is the household of God. Hence today's message. Now, this presented me with a problem because talking about family gives me the warm fuzzies. I feel love and care and encouragement and belonging and talking of the household of God immediately makes me think of chores and work. (laughs) It feels colder. It felt less personal. Hold that thought. I think the problem for me and for many of us is that we don't really use this word, household, in relation to our daily lives. It has little context for us because we tend to live in small family units, however they are constituted. But that wasn't the case in the New Testament. And in truth, it's not the case in vast areas of the world. I remember when I was in the Middle East and I was uh, a volunteer teaching English in the Palestinian refugee camps and I lived with this Palestinian family in a town nearby. And I asked one of the girls, one of the daughters, who was about my age, like with my very Western mind, do you mind having to serve your brother like that? Expecting only the answer. And I remember her response really clearly. Because for her, it wasn't about her having to do it. It wasn't about her feeling inferior. It was about gratitude. Because she knew with an absolute certainty that if she never got married, her brother would provide her a home in his household. If she was widowed, she and any of her children would be provided a home in her brother's household, as would her mother, as would her sisters, as would the grandparents. There was an absolute assurity that this is what happened. When the New Testament writers refer us to the kingdom of, to the household of God, sorry, they are referencing something much broader than any of us would immediately understand. A man's household would include his spouse, their children, other family members, servants, friends. In fact, anybody who came to stay under their roof, he would have responsibility to and for them. 
In the same way, you and I are under God's protection and care. We are members of his household. Yes, we are family. We are sisters and brothers in Christ. But in fact, we are much more than that. Ephesians 2.19 to 22 tells us, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and arises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Members of God's household require nothing more than belief in the salvation and redemption and restoration of Jesus Christ. What is being described here goes beyond family membership. It speaks about us being an active part of what God is building. The household of God is where everybody can come and find light and hope and peace and belonging for eternity. Suddenly, the term household doesn't feel so cold. Rather, it feels substantial and enduring. A place of belonging for you and I that isn't temporal or flimsy, but a home provided by Yahweh with Christ Jesus as the head of the household. This household is one without hierarchy. We are all family and we are all servants. We are called to prefer one another and to, as Peter says in his first letter, Love one another deeply from the heart. John, in his third letter, teaches us to be gracious and hospitable to one another. Paul instructed Timothy how to treat both the elderly and the young with respect. Paul tells us to follow Jesus' model. He is our role model. To walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. In this household, leaders lead by example through service in the same way as Christ leads his believers. He didn't lord it over his sheep, pushing and prodding them, but guides them by walking ahead and showing them how to live. Scripture is thankfully full of guidance on how we live 
in this household. Peter, in the second chapter of his first letter, says this. This is a scripture we know so well. It says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living stones being built into the very house that God will reside in through his spirit. Called to be a holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices through Jesus. He goes on to say, you could probably all sing it with me, say it with me, but you, you and I are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does it mean to be a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices? Such Old Testament language conjures up a picture of the priests in the temple offering up the animal and grain sacrifices on behalf of Israel. In this same sense, we, every one of us, is called up to form the new priesthood. No longer offering up physical sacrifices on the altar, but rather spiritual ones. Those of prayer and of praise. We, like those priests of long ago, are called to stand in the gap on behalf of others. To pray, to intercede for those who are lost or suffering, those who are in physical pain or emotional pain. For those who know they need God and those that don't. We people are called to our knees for nations and continents, and households, and neighborhoods. For our neighbor, and for world leaders, we are called to change the world. Prayer, intercession, is not an optional extra for any of us. It is not something somebody else is gifted in or called to do. It is the primary calling of being part of this priesthood in the household of God. You and I are God's special possession. Next time you're feeling of little worth or of little consequence, remind yourself of that truth. You, 
you are God's special possession. Chosen by him on purpose. He looked for you and he found you and he brought you into his household. He made you a royal priest and he commissioned you to intercede for his whole creation. That is your purpose. But when we read that scripture, we also know. Oh, that's gone far too far, Tulsi. That he commissioned us to declare his praises to heaven and earth. To praise him is to acknowledge all that he has done for us for his creation, for his saving grace, for his mercy, his faithfulness, his provision. We could go on and on and on describing the goodness of God. This again isn't something the worship leaders are called to. It's not something someone else is called to. You are called to it. This isn't a sometimes thing. It's not a Sunday afternoon thing. It's a priesthood thing. It's a lifestyle thing. It's a gratitude and humility thing. It's a love thing. It's an acknowledgement of who he is and what he has done for you. And it's how we show that to both the principalities and powers and to the world around us. I don't know why it is so important to God, who is so far above us, that he receive our praise. But as Phil said earlier, if we don't, if we stay silent, it is so important that God will make even the rocks cry out his praise. I said near the beginning of this that the term household made me think of work rather than the warm fuzzies. Turns out it's both. Every one of us has a place of belonging and a calling in this household of God. We have the security of home, of fellowship and of purpose. We are each called to change the world through intercession, through living lives that glorify God by pouring out praise to him by the words on our lips and the actions of our life. We are called to be priests. I'll say it again. You are called to be a priest. 
there is a calling on your life of prayer. There is a calling on your life of praise. This is being in the household of God. Without the prayer and without the praise, there is no household. It's a living structure built by the very people in it. When I was preparing this talk, there was one other thing that God laid on my heart. And he just kept dropping it and dropping it. And the question was, what am I prepared to come and lay on the altar for God's purposes? We've heard this word that the safety car is coming off the track. This isn't God saying, what's your gifting? I'll let you into a secret. He knows what your gifting is. He gave it to you. This is him asking us, what out of all that you've got and you've been given, can I rely on you to serve me with? So that when that need arises, I can say, ah, yeah, I'm going to send John because he told me he's good for that. Whether it's using your spiritual gifts or what we call God-given gifts, your talents, whether it is baking a cake, mowing a lawn, going with somebody to court, praying on the streets for the sick, sharing the gospel with a friend or a stranger, maybe it's street pastors or food bank or the safe. I don't know. But God is saying to us, what can I rely on you for? What is the thing? He's not asking us, give me everything. God knows us too well. This isn't a, I'm going to give you the world, God, today and forget it tomorrow question. That's not what he's asking. He loves you. He loves me. There is no big or small in this. That's not what it's about. It's about willingness and heart. And God has a plan and an agenda and a purpose. And he wants to know, what are you good for? A couple of weeks ago, Andy Neil challenged us to ask God for what we want. Last week, Andy urged us to ask God for his power in the things we want to serve God with. And today we've got another opportunity. You know, our head of our household, Jesus Christ, does not leave us floundering he delights in giving his children good gifts. He delights in equipping his household 
for its purposes. So what do you want? What do you need out of this out of this, this afternoon? Do you need a fresh or new anointing for prayer? Do you need the same for praise, for living a life of praise to God? Do you need to be able to accept that you have both a place to belong and a purpose? Do you need that confirmation that you are a special possession of Yahweh? Is there something you want to ask God for to be able to lay back down on his altar? Or maybe you just want to come and respond to that and say, you know what, God, I'm good for this. You can count on me. We are loved. We are chosen. We are accepted, but for a purpose. We can enjoy the warm fuzzes. But we also need to be about the work of the kingdom. Prayer, praise, whatever else you are willing to give, Father. Thank you.